It's not a product, it's a technology. It's an education challenge. A regenerative suspension. There will be a growing demand for industrial photovoltaics. Pumped hydro. Innovation in the financing space. The high-speed train is in all our interests. All political lines. Australia is a solar paradise. The market is moving much faster than that. You've got something that's transformational. Solar window in a can. Beyond Zero, global warming science, solutions and action. Taking it to a do-it-yourself level. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Beyond Zero show, recorded in the studios of 3CR Melbourne, syndicated around Australia on the community radio network and podcast on the internet at bze.org.au and 3cr.org.au and whatever podcasting app you choose to use. And don't forget you can also follow us on Twitter at bzetechshow. G'day, my name is Anthony Danielli. Uh, today we're going to be speaking to someone from Alphabet Australia. They offer a full range of fleet management solutions for all vehicle makes. B. Doherty is their business development and e-mobility manager. He spoke at the Australian Solar Conference in May on the topic of electric vehicles or EVs. So we thought we'd invite him in here today to tell us a bit about that and some of the trends in mobility. Hello, Bede. Hello, Anthony, and uh, thanks for the invitation. Oh, it's our pleasure. Thank you. Um, uh, we are scouring the conferences and the articles online to see what who, who has an interesting perspective, and uh, we love to get them on the show to really in this in this long form sort of interview and really get a, an idea of what they're thinking about and and really their perspectives on the industry in general. I think when you whenever you do you you might do a focused interview or a or a speech somewhere, but this is an opportunity really to, to speak more broadly, and we, we love to get that opportunity with people who live and breathe this stuff every day. Um, I guess, firstly, I'd, I'd like to get an idea on uh, you, about your, your personal history and, and how you got to this position in the industry. Sure. Well, I, I actually started in education, and then I, I moved into the IT industry. Um, and then finally, I started working in sustainability around 2008. Um, and then I went and did a master's in engineering in sustainable energy uh, and specialized in transport. And um, so here I am now working um, uh, for Alphabet in the transport sphere. You are probably the poster child for those people who say that we're going to have, what, seven careers in our time yes. timeline? Yes, 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 yeah, that's me. <laughs> okay, yeah, you're definitely not the uh, one career uh, no, uh, lifetime no, no. guy. No, change, change quite often, but I think sustainability will keep me going for a while. You would hope so. So sustainability is very sustaining. Is that what you're saying? Indeed. Okay, fantastic, <laughs> fantastic. So you're at our Alphabet, um, it's not the parent company of Google, which many people may think it is. Uh, t- tell us a bit about it. You're a division of uh, BMW Finance, um, and you manage the, the leasing of vehicles uh, of, of all brands. Uh, so can you tell us a bit about your organisation? Yes. Well, well, Alphabet is the fleet finance division of BMW Finance, which also has a consumer finance division. Um, but um, Alphabet doesn't just finance BMWs, as you said, it finances any maker vehicle, so it includes Toyota and Ford and, and Holden and so on. Um, but uh, through its, its, its parent BMW's DNA, um, Alphabet has a very strong focus on improving sustainability by improving fleet efficiency. Um, and fleet efficiency can include electrification in some cases, um, but it also can include other techniques where electrification isn't possible yet. For example, there aren't any electric utes on the market anywhere in the world. Mm. Uh, and so in order to improve efficiency of utes, we have to tackle sustainability in, in other ways. Um, and, yeah, so, I mean, one of the things that t- we talk about with uh, 
consumer driving and is what is perhaps driving some of the uh, car sharing services, which we may talk about a little later in the interview, but is the fact that, you know, X percent, most, most cars are, you know, parked 23 hours of the day. Exactly. Um, and so with the fleet management, I guess if someone's driving these cars for their business, they want to get maximum use out of them. Yes, quite. Um, and, um, uh, you know, sometimes one looks at a fleet and, uh, and, and identifies a number of vehicles that really are superfluous. They're just standing around most of the time and by a little bit of um, reorganisation, one reduce the number of vehicles in the fleet. Um, so that's one of the one of the factors that can improve uh, overall efficiency. Fantastic, yeah. I mean, and of course, there's plenty of uh, historical evidence that oil companies uh, arguably uh, acted in their corporate interests to slow down the acceleration of EVs. But what what do you think may be changing in in, in that sphere that that are making uh, EVs more competitive and, and more of an option? Well, uh, you know, the price of battery is coming down. Um, and battery storage, I mean, you know, uh, if, if a battery electric vehicle has got a lot of storage on board, that's going to cost quite a lot of money. So clearly price is, is a critical issue. Um, and and, and that, that, that's probably the key driver. Okay, well, there are quite a lot of puns, I think, in this field. One talks about driving change, and um, it's, yeah. it's a fantastic field for puns. Yeah, yes, I was talking about the acceleration there as well. Yes, which, yes, um, yes. Uh, <laughs> yes. We can count them as we go along. Uh, yeah, let's do that. Um, <laughs> All right. Well, uh, look, we'll, we'll get back into, into EV competitiveness a little bit more uh, later on, but let, let's talk a bit about the division that you, that you head. Um, now, you're, you're the manager of e-mobility. Um, I guess putting E's and I's in front of things is very common in, in the tech industry of, of various kinds. Now, the, the E in front of a word generally refers to electronics, so um, electronic mail for email and, and e-commerce and uh, but what, what would would the E stand for electric in your case, or, or can it also encompass some smarts as well? Yes, I, I, I think the E probably did originally come from uh, the idea of electrification, but um, the, the, the term e-mobility has now been broadened, I think, um, uh, and, and, and um, it really refers to the issue of getting a person from A to B. Um, and that might involve some electrification, or it might not. What about to um, E? Can it be A B to E, or uh, only to uh, only to B? A to E. Uh, a to A to E. Great. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so be, look. I mean, B and W and Alphabet recognise that in the future, um, a journey may not be door to door in one type of transport. Um, it may make more sense uh, to drive to a parking spot, for instance, and then maybe catch a train or a tram or pick up a higher bicycle, uh, or walk some of the way. Um, and um, in, in all of these cases, electrification of the various modes of transport will play an increasing role in the future. Um, but uh, a major barrier to adoption here is what uh, we call uh, multimodal connectivity. In other words, connecting the different modes that one might need to use to get from A to E. Um, and the traveler needs to know that... Uh, for example, that, that parking is available. They'd probably like to book a parking spot in advance. And if they've got an electric vehicle, they might like to know that an EV charger is available so they can top up their car while they're going off on the rest of the trip. Um, they might like to know when the train or tram is scheduled to come, whether there are any delays and, and that sort of thing. So, um, uh, you know, data really is very important in this, uh, in this journey. There's another pun. Um, if you hire a bike, for example, like one of those blue City of Melbourne bikes, um, you might want to know that one's reserved for you because you're planning to use it. Um, and uh, you'd also probably like to know that there's a convenient drop-off slot for that near your destination. You don't want to you know, cycle across town, get there, and find there's no one to de- nowhere to deposit the bike. 
So all of these things um, really require access to apps, which are available on smartphones, and those apps need to provide data about each of these modes and, and enable you to connect the modes uh, as seamlessly as possible. See, that's, that's really interesting because when most people, um, you know, in terms of what is allowing or enabling that kind of modal shift uh, in cities now, it's really a bit brute force, isn't it? Like you need to have a metro train running every two minutes so people don't have to think about um, people don't have to think about timetables. Really, um, yes. you, and then of course you need your access to your own vehicle, uh, like like a like a uh, a bike or a car, in order to guarantee availability. And yeah, then you need to just build a whole bunch of car parks to to deal with with peak demand. Um, and so it's a, real, it's a real brute force method of allow, allowing those, which, of course, is cost ineffective. And unless you're in a really dense uh, city that has invested a lot in those things, uh, th- those services fall apart or, or don't even exist. Yes. Uh, you know, uh, the, the whole issue of parking is, uh, is, is, is quite difficult as well. A, a parking bay, for example, near a railway station can cost in Melbourne uh, as much as $50,000 in terms of the real estate uh, dedicated to that parking spot. So um, using parking um, near stations is, is really quite a cost issue. Um, and, um, you know, one of the ways of looking at, at solving that is to put these very secure bike cages uh, near the station and encourage people to use bikes, such as electric bikes, um, where possible, and then they can park the bikes at the station instead of just, you know, using all that real estate for, for parking a car. So um, in the future, I think people will... Some people, some people won't uh, adapt quite as easily, but some people will um, be, uh, uh, you know, more prepared to, uh, to to do these kind of multimodal uh, connections and, and, and change their habits. I think I think uh, electric sort of like those pedal assist bicycles are a bit of a sleeping giant. I think you know if yes. if you can guarantee someone that. They're not going to have to exert a lot of energy to accelerate from stationary or to climb hills, yes. and, they're, and they're not going to arrive, you know, sweaty and smelly. I yes. think that's a, that's a great proposition. Yes, I think that's the key issue. I mean, if people are going to work, they, they, they don't want to have to pedal hard to get to the station. Um, and, of course, the other issue is the weather. If, if they're not sure if it's going to rain or blow very hard, that would discourage them from using uh, electric bikes as well. Um, but, uh, you know, they, they do become an option. Um, and some people will, will take to them more than others. And, and, and you know, uh, a diversity of choice is a good thing. Absolutely, absolutely. Okay, so speaking more specifically about your clients, um, what, what, what um, attracts them to EVs? Uh, is it the sustainability aspect, or I, I'd assume that the, that the cost aspect might start coming into it these days? Yes. Um, look, I think some clients, some clients do have sustainability objectives. Um, for example, they might want to eliminate their emissions by 2020. Um, many government fleets are in that space. Uh, one example is the city of Adelaide. They, they're um, aiming to uh, eliminate uh, emissions by 2020 right across the city. Um, uh, but many of the local governments um, around the country are heading in the same direction with, with quite similar um, objectives. Um, some include transport, some don't, but increasingly people will include transport in that ambition. So um, that's a key issue. Um, But then other clients want to prepare for the future, um, which will be increasingly electric-assisted or purely electric uh, simply because of the economics. And um, taking on some EVs now enables them to learn to deploy these vehicles efficiently and effectively. Um, And it also helps raise awareness amongst their staff. Um, And that's, that's, that's important for preparing 
uh, for the future. Um, then other clients might want to present an image of sustainability. Uh, you might be an energy company or an architectural company or something like that where you think EVs would help your image. And in fact, they can also act as mobile uh, billboards. So uh, they have a kind of advertising effect as well. Um, but um, most importantly, uh, price is, is really the key issue. Um, and what we do is we look at the total cost per kilometer um, of running an electric vehicle. Um, and uh, I probably should um, just define, uh, you know, the different types of electric vehicles. I think that could be quite helpful for our discussion. Sure. Um, and uh, so, uh, really, there, there, there are three major categories of electric vehicles. They're, they're the hybrids, and they're plug-in hybrids, and they're pure electric vehicles. So let me just explain what each of those is to start. Um, firstly, hybrids such as the Toyota Prius, and they have a, a small battery, but they don't have a plug. And um, so the battery is recharged by the engine, and it's also recharged by regenerative braking, which puts energy back into the battery. So really the purpose of the hybrid battery is just to assist the engine, and it's, uh, it's very effective in improving efficiency, and it reduces petrol consumption by as much as 50%. So that's a, that's a great start, and that's very established technology from, from Toyota. It's been going for nearly 15 years now. Um, the, the, the next move from that is to increase the size of the battery and then allow charging from a plug. And that type of vehicle is called a, a plug-in hybrid, um, which is abbreviated PHEV for plug-in hybrid electric vehicle, otherwise um, called a FEV. And um, so FEVs have a larger battery, and the battery is capable of moving the engine without uh, moving the vehicle, and it doesn't need any assistance from the engine at all. But if you floor the, the accelerator, then the engine might kick in as well just to give you that extra power. Typically, FEVs will run for about uh, 30, 30 to 50 kilometers on the charge. And uh, once the energy stored in the battery is used up, the energy can take over and provide a normal range of several hundred kilometers. So FEVs have no range issues because the petrol engine is there to, uh, to act as backup. Now, the, the important issue is, is, is here that in Australian cities, the, the average distance traveled per day is around 30 kilometers. So therefore, a FEV driver um, would hardly ever use the petrol engine. Uh, and that's so even though they've got that for backup they, they don't need to use it very often and then finally the the sort of purest uh, electric vehicle the the ultimate is the battery electric vehicle or BEV and um, that's got a much larger battery than a FEV um, the FEVs tend to have about you know 7 to 10 kilowatt hours um, a battery electric vehicle will have anything from you know 20 up to um, the Tesla's got about 90 um, and uh, they have a larger battery, um, uh, and they don't have any petrol or diesel engine, and they don't have a gearbox, which means they've got much less maintenance as well. Um, the battery obviously is charged from electricity using the plug, and the range is standardizing now. Uh, it's moving up to about 200 to 250 kilometers across um, all the, the makes. Now, in Melbourne, um, the average speed is uh, 35 kilometers per hour, so that translates to about six hours of continuous driving. Um, without a recharge, you need to take that. So if somebody only drives an hour a day, they probably only need to recharge once a week. Um, and finally, there's, a, there's an interesting variation on the FEV, the plug-in hybrid, which is worth mentioning, and this is BMW's i3. The i3 comes in two forms. There's the battery electric vehicle, the BEV, and there's a range-extended version, the REX it's called, 
And the Rex is different from the BEV because it has a small petrol generator in addition to the BEV's battery and motor. Um, and the role of the generator is simply to recharge the battery when the battery is low on charge. And that happens while the vehicle is being driven. And uh, it's completely automatic. So the car manages that whole process, unless, of course, the driver chooses to override it. Um, and that generator is not connected to the wheels in any way. So the car is driven exclusively by the battery. But the big advantage is there's, it eliminates the whole uh, you know, range anxiety issue. Um, and so there's effectively no range uh, limit on the RECs. So those are the, the, the three main categories of, of EV. And um, the market's really focusing on FEV as the sort of vehicle of choice at the moment because it has the plug. It can do almost all of its electric driving um, without the engine, but it doesn't have the range uh, issues. Right, right. Then we're on the Beyond Zero show, and we're speaking to B, B. Doherty from Alpha Australia, who are a uh, fleet management company. Uh, and so given that there are all these different kinds of, of vehicles, and, and you said that they're focusing on that on that FEV, that plug-in hybrid, um, what uh, what kind of mix would be would be optimal for your average company? But I assume that, that that different companies would have vastly different needs for what kinds of EVs that they need and what kind of fleet management they'd need. Yes, well, I think companies often um, um, aren't sure how far their vehicles travel um, each day. You know, um, they, they could find it out. They have the data usually, but uh, they, they've never really looked. So, you know, when, when an opportunity arises to consider uh, using an electric vehicle, there's quite a significant resistance to switching over to battery electric, uh, to BEVs, because um, there's a fear that the vehicle might get stranded somewhere. Um, so generally our advice uh, to companies is, um, unless they're fairly confident that um, the vehicle use uh, will fit into the, the range parameters that they need, um, the simple solution is just to go FEV because there's no risk. Um, having said that, we do have um, a tool um, which we use uh, to analyze how cars uh, are used. And that analyzes um, how far they go each day using telematics, which we install in, in one of the petrol vehicles. Um, and that telematics will tell us um, whether or not the car is suitable uh, to be replaced by a BEV. And if it's not, well, then a PEV can, uh, can be deployed instead. So why would they go with a, a BEV in the end? I guess it's the fact that you've only got one engine in there. It runs a lot, would it run a lot more uh, efficiently, I'm assuming? Um, and then, yeah, there would be no issue with the, even potentially running a petrol engine? Well, look, you know, the, 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 the BEV um, really provides a very comfortable ride. It's, it's, it's silent and it's without vibration. Mm. And, that's, and that's really appreciated by drivers. Um, um, uh, there's a story I've heard about the, the Renault Kangoo, which is used by, uh, by, by uh, French Post. Uh, where apparently the drivers, um, you know, that use the, uh, the, the, the electric Kangoo uh, refuse to go back to the diesel Kangoo because, um, you know, it, it, it vibrates and makes a noise and they've just got used to a quiet ride. So, um, and, and also, the, you know, the torque uh, is, is much, faster, much better in an electric vehicle. I mean, it, it's got 100% torque instantly. You put your foot down, whereas a petrol vehicle or diesel vehicle has to build up revs before it gets to its maximum torque. So um, in many ways, um, electric vehicles are superior to, um, uh, you know, diesel vehicles. But, um, uh, you know, 
there, there is a cost issue and there's a slight risk for companies, so they need to be sure that they're picking the right vehicle for the purpose. And what may be some, some issues around... Um, well, not some issues, but perhaps opportunities that a, that a potential client could have if they could really drive down the cost of their uh, electric vehicle fleet if they also have a lot of uh, on-site generation. So say they have solar where they're effectively pro- you know, producing uh, free energy and that if instead of putting that out into the grid where they may not get the best feed-in tariff, they could instead charge their vehicles. Are there a lot of um, uh, businesses that are taking advantage of that and going with EVs uh, almost because of that reason? No, I, I don't think anyone's doing that. And the reason is because, uh, although it's, you know, it, it definitely makes sense. I mean, why, why, uh, why not use your solar to provide you with free transport, um, you know, uh, if you can? Um, the answer sometimes is simply that the vehicle isn't at the office during the day, so it can't take, take advantage of the solar because it might be, you know, driving around town during the day. Um, but the other um, part is that e- even if the vehicle is charged at the um, office base by night, um, the cost of electricity is, is, is very inexpensive. Um, it's about two or three cents per kilometre, whereas a petrol or diesel vehicle will be, you know, anything between 15 and 25 cents per kilometre, or even worse if it's, uh, you know, driven in, in heavy traffic constantly. Um, so it, it, it's much more economical. But when you add it up over, over a year, it, it's really only hundreds of dollars that are being saved by going to electric. The, the reason people go to electric is, is not to save a couple of hundred dollars. It's because they have a concern about the emissions and they want to, um, uh, you know, start moving towards reducing their emissions. That's, that's the fundamental reason. Um, in due course, electric vehicles will become cheaper to buy than um, petrol vehicles or diesel vehicles. And at that point, um, there will be a, a very strong swing to electric vehicles because why wouldn't you? Exactly. The operating costs do make a difference, but it's the purchase cost that will be the, 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 the key issue. Uh, I, I like that interesting interplay, the fact that, you know, that they, what, the costs can come down for electric vehicles, but, yeah, the running costs will be considerably less if you don't have to drive into a servo once a week and, and give them $80 just to keep using sure. this thing you've, you've bought. Sure. Um, so uh, let's move on to the, the EV market more broadly, and we've talked about you know what was going to need to take off, just to the general costs, uh, range anxiety, the available of charge points, etc. Um, but I read an interesting article about the the charging of vehicles and how people just consider it a bit of an imposition even to plug something in, yeah. and uh, and the writer was suggesting that what could really take things off was was wireless charging. Perhaps you could tell us a bit about firstly what that is. And um, you know how you know how you think how possible do you think it is that these would be available in you know parking spots and people's homes? Sure, um, wireless charging or induction charging, as it's also known more technically, um, is definitely going to be part of the charging mix. Um, and uh, particularly if vehicles park themselves, then um, you know you don't need somebody to go and plug them in after they've parked. So. Uh, th- that will come out. Um, there, there's, you know, it, it will be deployed by um, all the manufacturers in due course. Um, it's worth though, thinking about public charging infrastructure because often uh, people think that that's one of the key barriers to adoption. And um, we would disagree. We would suggest that public charging infrastructure really is largely irrelevant to the take-up of EVs in practice. Um, and I'll explain why. Hybrids, for example, and FEVs and REXs simply don't need public charging infrastructure because they've got a petrol backup. So if they run out of charge away from home, uh, the petrol engine takes over. Um, 
um, and if they have solar on site they, and, and, and you know can plug in during the day, they can take advantage of that solar as well. So the only users who might possibly need public charging infrastructure are BEV drivers. Now, there, there are only two BEVs available in, in, um, in Australia at the moment. The one is the BMW i3, and the other one is the various models of Tesla. Um, uh, all the other electric vehicles available in Australia are either FEVs or hybrids. Um, so, uh, you know, there, there really is very little demand um, for public charging infrastructure. Um, and, um, and what's more, drivers tend to adapt to recharging every night. It's a bit like charging your smartphone. You plug it in usually when you get home or at night. One does the same with one's car, unless, of course, it's got induction charging. You don't need to plug it in. You simply park it where it's supposed to be parked. Um, and so, you know, if you, if you do that overnight, when, when you leave the next morning in your car, um, be it from home or from the office, um, you've got four, between four and 12 hours of, of driving in the battery. Um, now, if somebody drives more than five, four hours a day in a bed, they may need to use public charging infrastructure, but better still, they probably should just change and, and use a different vehicle uh, for that particular day, um, or maybe try and top up at lunchtime. Um, on, on the subject of what's needed to uh, get EVs to take off in Australia... Um, we think that government regulation and incentives are both required. Um, firstly, in terms of regulation, regulation can put limits on emissions, um, and uh, there's a federal government inquiry examining this issue at the moment. It's scheduled to report back in, in March uh, next year. Um, not sure what's going to happen to it, you know, given the potential change in government, but that's the, uh, the, the, the civil servants are continuing to work on that while the ministers are away. Um, now, limiting emissions could really result in an increase in EVs, depending on how the regulation is framed. So that's one possibility. Um, but secondly, there's the issue of incentives. Now, incentives can um, in include various types of financial subsidies, such as uh, relief on stamp duty, relief on fringe benefits tax, on luxury car tax, on registration costs, uh, costs uh, and even a tax rebate. But um, in addition to that, there, there are non-financial benefits, which can include um, reduced costs for parking, increased access to parking spots, say, in the city, um, access to taxi or bus lanes, which might be restricted to, uh, to other vehicles, um, lower costs on toll roads. Um, they could have free access to public charging infrastructure. Uh, there could be obligations for apartment blocks to allow EV owners who live there to have access to electricity for the EV on site. Um, so that's another issue, uh, is, is the non-financial benefits. And then, and then finally, um, buyers also need more vehicle choice. Currently, only BMW is delivering on this in Australia. It's got FEVs available in X, as an X5 and as a 3 Series, which are just normal-looking vehicles, but have some battery in them. Um, but there's also the BMW i3 BEV, the BMW i3 Rex, and the BMW i8 FEV. So that's five vehicles currently, and, and more to come. Unfortunately, some other manufacturers have only got one model each, and, and some manufacturers don't have any models at all in, in, in Australia. Um, and that's, that's very disappointing. Um, I think the interesting achievement of BMW with the X5 and 330 uh, specifically is that th these vehicles have been priced similarly to their petrol equivalents. So, for example, the X5 FEV 
has got similar acceleration and similar range to its um, petrol X5 sister, and it's the same price. Uh, that, that's, that's a fantastic achievement, and we think that, that really could move the market. Okay, okay. Well, we have only got a few minutes left, so I thought maybe as a, as a final question we could speak a bit about um, some, some of the things that are going on around transport. You know, when, if you think about the fact that, uh, th- that these vehicles are becoming um, uh, electric and perhaps even autonomous, but, but also this, this possibility that with, the, with the proliferation of smartphones and information appliances of various kinds that we could see the rise of people not, not owning cars to the level that they do anymore and using a lot of these car sharing services like Uber or GoGet or Car Next Store. Yeah. Um, there's been a lot of speculation that this, you know, that these service availabilities will will, re- will lead to a lot of a reduction in private car ownership, and then potentially lead to the fact that a lot of cars that are owned will actually be through, you know, these services. So, what kind of implications do you think that has for the market in general, and say a fleet service company like your own? Well, as you said earlier, you know, the the average private car spends 23 hours of the day parked. And that's clearly a very inefficient use of, of, of that asset and a very inefficient use of capital. Um, it's far more efficient to have a car used uh, more frequently, and, and car sharing really solves that problem. What it does is reduces the cost of, of, of using a car per kilometer because of the increased utilization of the asset. Um, Melbourne, uh, and, and, and any major city, um, has, has limited uh, space for, for road expansion. Uh, many would argue that you know the, the roads that are there pretty much should stay the way they are, and that it's just pointless, um, you know, widening roads endlessly and building more because uh, you know if you build them, uh, the, the traffic will just fill them anyway. So uh, Melbourne's population, for example, is expected to double in the next generation, um, and we, we simply can't afford for the number of cars to double because um, the roads can't be expanded and shouldn't be expanded, um, and and uh, gridlock will result. Uh, so there, there, there's no benefit um, in gridlock. Um, so car sharing really has to be a major contributor to the to, to the future, and that will change ownership from individual ownership to you know the owners of these car sharing fleets will become the owners, and uh, in, you know uh, the smart thing to do, uh, uh, their accountants will tell them will be to lease the vehicles, not buy them, because there are all sorts of financial advantages in leasing. So we see a, a, a you know a movement towards um, leasing away from individual ownership. Okay, that's great. Well, thank, thanks very much for that for that bead. I think we'll we'll leave it there. Uh, I think we successfully got from A to E of this interview. <laughs> and uh, I mean, it, it's funny because uh, when we first discussed the interview, you suggested whether you would come in for the interview or on the phone. It was the first time someone said, "Well, I could save X number of kilowatt hours if I don't come." Um, and maybe we need to offset that against how much the cost of the phone call, and we can actually start getting some apple-to-apple comparisons <laughs> on on how to uh, whether to save on transport or or just telecommute. I think that you know electric vehicles are making that possible for the first time, which is I think yeah. is really interesting. Yeah. Um, yeah. So thanks a lot, Bede, and uh, hopefully speak to you soon. That's marvelous. Thank you very much, Anthony. You've been listening to the Beyond Zero show brought to you by the Climate Solutions Think Tank, Beyond Zero Emissions. To find out more about what we do, visit us at bze.org.au. My name's Anthony Daniel. We'll see you next time. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.